the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Paid for by Integrated Physician Network. This program was recorded to air at this time. Healthcare premiums through the roof. So much to think about when it comes to health care. Who do you talk to? Where do you go next? Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now with host Mark Chayette and Larry Jones. And now let's head into the Healthcare Now studios. Welcome to Healthcare Now, and thank you for joining us this Saturday afternoon. I'm Mark Chant, and I'm Dr. Mark today. I'm joined with my uh, always co-host, Larry Jones. Good afternoon, Larry. Good How afternoon, are you? Dr. Mark. And, uh, Beautiful let's go day. Ahead and let's go ahead and introduce, we have a, we have okay. a third person in the studio we today. You know, we have with us uh, Ken Peach, who is the executive director of the Health Council of East Central Florida. And in a little bit, after we kind of do our opening, right. we're going to spend some time with Ken, not only talking about Health Council of East Central Florida, but a home care program, hospital at home, called Caramedics that the council developed a couple of years ago. Excellent, right? excellent. Well, welcome, Ken. And, welcome, uh, gentlemen. It's just, yep. you know, I'm glad you're sitting here, and I didn't want to ignore you during the whole thing and have, have you just suddenly appear out of the vapors, right. but great to have you. Dr. Mark, can you believe it's September? I know it. I know what it's just in flying world? by. Some things <laughs> fly by, and some things just kind of sit and wait. Unreal. You know? So, oh, speaking of flying by, what did oh, we yeah. not <laughs> talk about this last week? It was so interesting. We We were talking about the putting the onus on payers and employers when they've requested that their employees get the vaccine and yet end up in the hospital. And right. here, right after we had that conversation, you want to go through what happened with Delta? It was it was really kind of, I saw it, and I, I kind of thought, did, this was deja vu. But Delta <laughs> Airlines on Wednesday said it's going to begin charging unvaccinated workers yep. a hefty monthly sum. Yes. That basically goes towards their, their insurance. Right. But they're going to add two hundred dollars to their premium, two hundred bucks okay, a month, a month, and yeah. so and they flat out said this is to cover the cost of hospitalization yeah. for patients, and and you know I guess if you amortize that over all the way across all the Delta employees that are un- unvaccinated, mm-hmm. maybe those numbers actually work. But I think more it's messaging, right? It's more it's well, go get vaccinated. Right. Well, the 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 whole impetus for this thing was that they were looking at. These employees that were unvaccinated that ended up a hospital yep. having an average bill of fifty thousand dollars. Right. right. Absolutely. I mean, why would they want to fund that? Right. Know? Yeah. And when there when there's an answer, I mean, some things yeah. are way out of our control. Yep. Yep. But for once, and we, we're going to talk a little bit about how the end comes around. Yep. But but this is something that we think we have under control. We it need is. to get vaccinated. And again, I don't particularly like the term the now the pandemic of the unvaccinated. No. But in reality. The cost, if you remember, in June and July, we talked about this last week, yeah. uh, the health care system showed a $2.3 billion, billion. Dollar cost in a 60-day period, right. and 98% of that cost was due to COVID. Right, right. And if you amateurize that, that's adding $15 Eight, yeah. billion dollars a year to the system when it was completely avoidable. And we talked at the very birth of this show about the incredible cost of health care and yeah. how we're going to bring it down. Yeah. 
uh, and, and that was not, without. This isn't going to do it. <laughs> this isn't going to do it. No, this is not the this is That's not right. the right answer. Yeah. And we run into things like that all the time. But there'll be other other workers that are going to be faced with this, and other companies. Yeah. There's no question that there's CEOs that are making the calculations right now and deciding, yeah. you know, what what they're going to yeah. do. Well, you know, the real-time cost of COVID hospitalizations really is not publicly available yet because it's so new. But sources are telling us that it could exceed much greater than that $15 billion yeah, on a national level. I wouldn't doubt it. Because yeah. that's they were looking mostly – I mean, I guess the costs are somewhat concentrated on the ICU care. But there's a lot of upfront care and ER yep. care, a lot of testing. Yep. Yep. So there's a lot more to it that's yep. going to be added to the yep. pot. And, you know, back to the Delta, I just heard on the on the news either last night or this morning that since Delta initiated that two hundred dollars a month beginning mm-hmm. January or beginning September 1st, their vaccinations of their employees has tripled. No doubt. I mean, no doubt. It's, yeah. We talked about, you know, these companies that were offering 50 bucks or 100 right. bucks or 200 right. bucks. So this is the, the stick, not the carrot. And it's a much right. bigger stick than that. It's $50 a much bigger carrot. stick. Yeah. No, I think it's going to uh, it's going to kind of trend a bit. Um, I think the there's just there's just never just one issue going on that we can yeah. focus on with with COVID, and because I think we keep muddying up the waters talking about things like boosters. Do we get them? Do we need them? Who needs yeah. them? And all in all, what I see in my day to day when I talk to people at the gym or people, and I do go and to the gym we do, and we do yeah. wear a mask, but <laughs> patients that come in, yeah. friends, people are. Are very they're not frustrated anymore they're angry yeah and I've got uh, got a friend that I've talked to for the last year as this has been going on at, at the gym and and he's a well-educated gentleman and, and he actually listens to the show mm-hmm. and he uh, which I shouldn't say is something that would be unusual since he's a well-educated individual but he That's does right. he listens to That's the show right. and we were well we, I think maybe Delta got this whole idea from us they last did. week too. I think they probably did they probably did <laughs> someone said to me I think Delta was listening <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I, I talked to this friend on a multi times a week and he asks great questions and he really looks at the the information mm-hmm. And the last time I spoke to him, he was just angry yeah. and he was apologetic yeah. saying, you know, I, I know that, you know, Dr. Mark, I mm-hmm. talked to you about this stuff and I appreciate your input. He's, but he's, he's so angry. He just doesn't want to believe he's followed all the rules. He's doing everything right. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you can just see his anger. And it just made me think that's kind of what yeah. the public is right now is we're all just angry. Yeah. Well, let me throw this in here. You know, so Dr. Mark, without being judgmental. Where do we really go from here? Because we are seeing more restrictions on the non-vaccinated. We're seeing school boards going back to wearing masks. Right. We're seeing all these things. Are we going in the wrong direction with this new pandemic of the unvaccinated? And where does it all end? Well, I, I don't think it's the wrong direction because it's really the only thing that follows any of the true science. And And again, if you're angry... You are scoffing at my idea that there's true science, right? Because yep. people are just don't believe that anything's going on. But yep. it, that's what it is. If it's the, it's what we have, this right. is what we have to work with. Yep. And when we go out and see the signs of, of the eight billion dollars of settlements for vaccinations yeah. that have been paid, that has nothing to do with nothing. this pandemic. That's nothing. that's in history, and it's not Nor real even science. this type of vaccine. No, not at all. Not that's at right. all. I mean, that's right. so we we need to accept a few things. One is this is real, yep. you know, in every stage of the game. What did we hear? Oh, that Delta. It's it's not as deadly. It's not true at all. And, and why would it be less deadly? And then, yep. oh, you know, the vaccines, they don't work for that anyhow. Apparently they do. 
Right. And I think from the very beginning, the the groups that developed these vaccines were very upfront about what they expected. They didn't expect mm-hmm. it to be a superhero. They expected right. it to decrease hospitalizations and deaths. Exactly. And, and they it's exactly what's yeah. happened. Well, you exactly know, changing subjects a little bit. And on a positive note, on August 23rd, the FDA granted full approval for the Pfizer vaccine for everyone under uh, every in 16 and older, making it the first COVID vaccine to gain full approval from the FDA. Yep. Yeah, and that's that was a real expected, positive right? step, yeah. right? And yeah. that was expected, was expected. And now, you know, I think the others will. Moderna is going to follow. Yeah. Now, and again, the, question, the one the, thing the that booster I th- is not. And, that's and, right. And we've had that's a lot right. of discussion back and forth about the booster. Well, there's been some comment about the booster, but before I talk about that, let me just mention that that full approval only went down to age 16, right? And as you know, well, we're vaccinating to. to age 12, right? But that, but that was yeah. a different set of approvals, right? Exactly. So, so it's kind of yeah. like when there's a. A, a, a case law they're going to look at the case law That's as right. it is they're not going to go back and look at two right. things and right. they haven't collected enough data on the 12 year olds to match right. what they have on the 16 and up right. so right. I, that but to be to your point though mm-hmm. that discussion should have been made before the release because exactly. some people may look at it as like oh wait does that mean the 12 year should another be getting another at right yeah, faux pas. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> kind of cart That's before right. the horse. Exactly. But it would have been good information, but but to be honest, I mean, in media, they they may have had that information, yeah. but it's not interesting enough to talk about. Exactly. And this is much more interesting yeah. to raise up yeah. some other garbage well, that well, we let can me ask be you, angry be, you about. Know, before we get into uh, Ken's, so Doc uh, Ken, what do you think about all this, this vaccine? And you you're in the homes with everything. What, what's your thought on this? For us, it's just a matter of being very, very careful um, mm-hmm. as we work from home to home. But um, for our team, we looked at this early on and said it makes yep. no sense not to get the vaccine. Right. Well, I'm sure you're, t- yeah, you're walking into yep. the danger zone. Yeah, right. And not only yep. that, but also keeping in mind, first and foremost, the patients that we serve. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. You're not, you're not spreading. Exactly. Well, it, but to that point, it was amazing at how many healthcare workers at the hospitals we're holding out. Exactly. They still are, aren't yeah, they, Dr. They, they still are. Yeah. Me- yeah. Much fewer. Much okay. fewer. Okay. But in the very beginning, I mean, most of us were like running to be first in line. And then I'd run into a few people who'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to yeah. kind of sit back and yeah. wait and think, what, do you, what yeah. are you even thinking? And what yeah. kind of example are you setting? Well, you so, know, and, and my wife has been a critical care ICU nurse mm-hmm. for 40 years. And I'll be honest with you, I dragged her screaming and hollering right. to get the vaccine back yeah. in January. She, she, she wasn't too excited about it, yeah. <laughs> but she got it done. She got it. She got it done. And, <laughs> it, right. you know, and it, there's there's a lot of reasons why you may or may want, you know, want to do something, right? Yep. But, yep. but this has become a fight for those that are left out there that are not vaccinated. I mean, it, it's an uncomfortable place. Yep. I mean, and yep. it's an uncomfortable conversation, to be frank, because they've seen all the all the data. They've seen all the science and and refuse to accept it 100 percent. And, you know, everybody should have a little bit of doubt about things. But it's a it's a really it's become a conversation that's almost too hard to have. Well, let me hit you with a couple things. Uh, Acting FDA commissioner, Dr. Janet Woodcock, made the comment that she believed that while millions of Americans have already received the vaccine, she believes that now with full approval, it could reassure some Americans that were hesitant. And well, I think that's important. I mean, I think the the biggest jump with the approval is actually mm-hmm. going to be allowing businesses to say employees have to be to mandate. Right. Yep. So yep. I really yep. think that's the I biggest agree. thing. I do not believe 
that that was a true excuse for people that weren't getting vaccinated, that I was going to wait. Because the same, most of us are a little critical of the FDA, aren't we? I mean, the FDA is not, not well, we, we, we talk about a lot. Well, inconsistencies right. so there. So just yeah. because the FDA gave me a, a half thumbs up with some people looked at the emergency. Right. That, right. that didn't change my opinion. And this no. doesn't change my opinion at all that it's full. I think that just makes it, it's a, it's a legal issue. But you so know, now people places that, like Delta really, can say you need to do it. Yeah, people that really didn't follow the FDA before COVID probably never heard of the FDA. <laughs> I, I guess. I, guess. I don't <laughs> know. They're in the news a lot. Well, they are. They are. They're involved in so many things. It's kind of hard not to be. Are. And, of course, as a physician, you would deal with that every day almost. Absolutely. Let me hit you with one more thing that I thought was interesting. There was a report done about the value of averting a non-fatal statistical case of COVID-19, and they came up with $3 amounts, which I thought was interesting. For an individual age 40, a mild case, if you end up hospitalized, could cost about $8,000. Okay. For a more severe case, 18000 and that's more in line with what we're seeing with Delta right. and, you know, anywhere from twenty four to 50000 mm-hmm. But in a severe case, the cost could be up to $1.8 oh, sure. Well, we're doing things. We're doing monoclonal antibodies. We're doing, yep. you know, ICU admissions, ventilators, ECMO. Yep. So, yep. so ECMO, which is, you know, it, it's a, a bypass machine, essentially. Tremendously expensive. Um, I had a... A uh, friend's cousin that got flown from Orlando to Tampa to be put okay. on ECMO, oh, 33 wow. year old, yep. otherwise healthy, unvaccinated. Yep. Did they survive? Um, they're on ECMO right now. They're on ECMO so, yep. now. So, yeah. and that's so what a fifty-fifty, that, maybe. You know, I I don't want to quote, I, yeah. but adult ECMO is rough. It's it tough. Is, it is. Yep. It is tough. If you, I actually and it's really have a just dear having friend that whose, to get whose on. wife passed away yep. on ECMO. Yep. And there are only a yep. limited number yep. of slots because we have yep. ECMO yep. beds here in Orlando, but yep. they were all full. Dr. Mark, we're going to have to take a break. Oh, you're right, right. And we'll be right back with uh, Ken with the Health Care Council of East Central Florida. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407 228 or 774 or visit com. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Welcome to 
Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Mark and Ken Peach, our guest, Executive Director for the Health Council of East Central Florida. Welcome, Ken. Well, thank you, Larry and, and Dr. Mark. I mean, it's such a pleasure to join you. I've been listening to every show, so this is a great wow. opportunity well, to get we on were, here. We appreciate that, mm-hmm. yeah. but, but it is. It's most of our shows, as you've heard, we've had people call in, which is, it works, but this is much better. A little eye contact, a little hand signaling, you know, we can, we can make things happen. So, Ken, tell us a little bit about the Health Council of East Central Florida, how it was started and what its mission is. Sure, Larry. The um, Health Council of East Central Florida actually is a health planning and service non-for-profit organization. Um, They were formed, and there were 11 that actually cover all 67 counties in Florida. They were formed in 1982 Mm -hmm. by the state legislature as a way to decentralize health planning. Mm Mm-hmm. And the uh, the mission is um, we do needs assessments. Now, this is our local health council, right. not necessarily all of them, but we do needs assessments. Uh, from what we find out about the community and the health issues, we then p- develop partnerships to address those issues. Uh, we measure the program performance. How are we doing right. uh, with those programs? And then ultimately, how do we improve population health um, right. is, our, is our focus. Right. Well, maybe if we could grab one of those by example, like one of your real-life examples, what you've identified and who you've partnered with, and, and I think that will probably lay the picture out really clearly. Well, we, we partner a lot with the Central Florida CARES Health System, which mm-hmm. is the behavioral health provider for the community, substance abuse and mental health. Okay. And um, in working with them early on, we developed their needs assessment so that they could go ahead and look at what are those issues broken down by segments of population and counties right. across four counties. Um, and as a result of that, they actually use that to help them determine where the spending is appropriate on adult or child substance abuse and mental health. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Interesting. And any other projects that you're particularly proud of that you wanted would like to highlight? Well, one we're going to talk about a lot today oh, yeah. and the uh, care a little bit later, yeah, 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 which yeah, we'll is our um, our unique program services program. We'll, we'll okay, discuss we'll that. Ken, we'll let me just that. ask you, you know, we've, we've talked about health care at home and hospital care at home. And, you know, during the pandemic, mm-hmm. it has certainly invigorated this process to where people don't really want to go to the doctor. They certainly don't want to go to the hospital or the ER. So how has this impacted what you're doing and some of the things that you're doing to to meet this need? Well, we've seen a huge um, increase in the numbers of individuals seeking care in the home. Um, to, to put your point, Larry, mm-hmm. uh, to avoid COVID and nosocomial infections, those okay. things that we get okay. uh, that exist in treatment sites. The other piece about home care is consumer convenience. The individuals right. that suddenly don't have to leave home and the, sure. you know, we've seen probably a decade increase or, or speeding up of the clock, if you will, for telehealth. But also just the idea that I can receive my care in the home as opposed to having to go anywhere. Um, the tradition has always been when I was working in the hospitals, it was how do I get patients to the hospital? Now what we're trying to look at is how do we get health care to the patients? Right. Just a complete right. reverse. Right. Right. Uh, the other thing related to that is the aging population and the mm-hmm. fact that a lot of the individuals that we are now seeing at home are aging individuals. You know, we see, what, 10,000 people a day turn uh, 65. And that's going to be a period of 18 years for the baby boomer cycle to get through. You know, Ken, it's interesting because you say that because for the first time in decades, I saw a report the other day that says resident enrollment in nursing homes are beginning to decline. Right. And, and, and the number of elderly is on the way up. That's right. That's right. Right. And, and I think, you know, again, the reason for that is the COVID isolation. 
I mean, individuals are very concerned now about enrolling into a or you know going into a nursing sure. home or assisted living facility because they're concerned about the isolation that occurred during the COVID um, uh, cycle last year. The other thing is the caregiver shortages in the nursing home field right now are very very difficult. And uh, for a period of time, I oversaw the operation of a couple of nursing homes here in Orlando. And even then, it was difficult to staff and maintain staff based right. on um, the you know payment levels and things you can afford to do. Uh, and then the other thing I think that we're seeing is also a desire to an ability to stay at home. Uh, you may have heard of uh, accessory dwelling units and uh, wraparound services. And more and more now we're seeing individuals choose to live at home, and that's their preference. Yeah. Talk, talk a little bit support. more, like, yeah. just for the Let's audience, about this. Uh, sure. the wraparound services. Well, we're we're actually, um, I'm in the process now. I served on the board uh, for a number of years uh, of the community of Harmony. And we mm-hmm. looked in Harmony yeah. and we said, how do we keep individuals living, you know, at home and is it a way to wrap around services? By wrap around services, um, and in those days, we didn't have meal delivery at home. We didn't have Amazon. We didn't have right. all of the services right. we have now right. to deliver. Right. So really for us, it became more of a um, how do we keep somebody healthy by basically providing services to that home mm-hmm. uh, in some manner. So today, when we talk about wraparound, there's just a variety of sources and things that an individual can get. Well, Ken, I find it interesting. Uh, I don't know if Dr. Mark even realized this, but Ken's a former hospital CEO. No, well, I did not. In the Orlando Health System. Vice president. Yeah. <laughs> at, uh, at, at South Seminole Hospital, yes. right? CEO and, in our eyes. Yeah, so that's, that's fine. <laughs> hey, you, you ran the place. Come on. I knew that. But anyway, I think that's quite a shift on what you've done with the council in this home care, moving from that mentality of being a hospital administrator to into the home. I thought that's quite a shift. I fess up. I I call myself a recovering hospital administrator. (laughs) And I I do confess that for about 25 years, my job was to put heads in hospital beds. Exactly. Now I'm doing everything I can to keep people from putting their heads in hospital beds. Well, I think the the payer system is the responsibility for that, right? Because it that's one of the changes that has occurred in a positive fashion is looking at where the money is being spent that could be spent more wisely. And a lot of times it is the payer that drives that because at the end of the day, they're the ones who are going to decide if you're going to get paid or not. So 25 years ago, that's how we got paid. We got paid by the more people we saw and the more treatments we did, the more things that we ordered. And it was, I would say, getting out of hand. I mean, I think that's fair to say. You know, I was, I was in med school at the time, and that was the the big buzz was, you know, we've got to do things in a different way. The SNF units started to open up, so people didn't spend so much time in the hospital doing rehab and other places. There were more and more elder care systems going up, and and so now we're kind of curbing in a different direction once again. Well, I, I think, and I don't remember who it was, but someone came to Orlando probably 10 years ago and spoke at a conference. And he said, if we're compared as a U.S. health system a lot to overseas systems. Sure. And, of course, the, the two things we hear is that we cost a lot more and our quality is not, our outcomes are not as good. He said, fundamental difference. Look at every one of those systems. What's the difference? They pay for prevention first and high acuity sick care second. Right. And that's why you see, you know, individuals coming out of Canada, for example, to get MRIs in Detroit because they can't get them up there. But if you think about that, we decided 10 years ago at the Health Council, let's see if we can move into the area of prevention and well-being in the home and keep people out of the hospital 
um, and focus on the prevention. And certainly when you call, when you talk, as you have throughout your programs, about improving quality and also right. reducing costs, the reducing cost piece is going to happen yeah. in the home. Well, it's interesting, Ken, because let's talk a little bit about how the opportunity for payment outside the hospital into the home has shifted, particularly not during, not just during the pandemic, but even yep. over a period of time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I, I think just the whole movement from fee-for-service toward value-based care now sure. to the point where on the value-based model, and, and I know you've talked about this, but for individuals listening who may not be familiar, I always use Medicare Part C or Medicare Advantage as a way yeah. to say instead of every time that you come in your medical office bills for that visit, in essence, instead, what's happening is you as a member, the health plan and ultimately your primary care physician is getting paid in advance. Pays a flat rate. In a That's preventive right. model. That's and right. so, in essence, what we're doing is focusing on keeping you well and happy and healthy and at home. Is there one or two things that occur in the home that, that make that difference, that break, break the plan and get somebody to a hospital or to a, a full-time care center? Well, ultimately, there will be a point, and that's mm-hmm. where Larry mentioned mm-hmm. hospital at home before. There will be a point where an individual can't be managed in the home, you know, their, their health condition. And that's where, if you look at the projections for where hospitals are going to be, they're going to be intensive care units and emergency departments, mm-hmm. primarily with all of Mainly the outpatient. care. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. more and more, I think it was last year for the first time, more outpatient was done in non-hospital-owned facilities than in hospital-owned facilities, which okay. was a very wow. interesting observation as that movement's taking place. Without naming names, Larry and I were were working with a uh, large group here in Central Florida and talking about a hospital's model, and that's what we were talking about is yep. creating a, a medical city where there are these outpatient services, yep. and you had your ER, exactly. and you had your intensive care units. and it is a tough piece to sell in a place like Orlando where there's such an example of these, you know, three hospital systems that have made bank and been successful for all these decades. But it is absolutely where we need to go. Yep. Well, and I think if you look at what happened in Africa, Africa never had a wired uh, telephone system. The continent was just too big. They just didn't mm-hmm. have that capability. Then somebody developed this idea of carrying your phone in your hand and working off towers. If you looked at the technology at that time in Africa, their cell technology actually jumped ahead of what was in the U.S. Hmm. Um, and the reason is because there was no legacy investment to hold them back. Healthcare systems, the way we built our system, we've built it into a legacy that has to be protected. Right. And so as a result of that, there, right. you know, the... the um, it's just open, open game for the, the one technology to blow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Ken, talk about some of the technological advancements in the way of remote patient monitoring and all that has really helped what you do in the home? Well, I think uh, remote patient monitoring, Larry, as you mentioned, the ability to monitor vital signs or at least indication of somebody uh, getting into trouble if uh, we're not monitoring that. Motion sensing detectors. I uh, had a chance to meet mm-hmm. the gentleman who were developing a company that's now in South Florida that puts in motion sensors. And they can tell over the course of time by the change in a pattern whether or not somebody is developing a health, health issue. I mean, talk about the ability to you know, look ahead. Mm-hmm. And then we've got wearables. 
uh, the right. devices that many of us wear on our, our wrist or others. There's actually a company, I believe, in Lake Nona that puts wearable detectors in clothes. Right. Um, and so as a result of that, more and more is going to be able to be done in the home. And I also, listening last week, you had someone on from artificial intelligence. Right. Did. Now, that way related to call centers, but artificial intelligence built into our health system as a way to detect early detection of these types of concerns. Diagnosis, yeah. Would be well, a tremendous. And that, that is going to fit because the, the patient can pick up some type of communication device and talk to one of these bots that gets them to the right place quickly and accurately. And that's going to be really important to have a group like like, like that group in, in a syllable that was in is in healthcare. You know, now where where do you see for the payers and uh, and the government programs to go accepting these new technologies? We said that telehealth jumped ahead a decade during the pandemic and it has mm-hmm. and that was really uh, the first time that in my career, I can remember the government stepping in and saying, no, you're doing this now. You're paying for this now. So where are you seeing that for, like, the, the wearables and other detection devices? You would think that they would have been paying for this. Yes. Because but devices I was going to say millions, millions. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You would right. think. But, yeah. but I know the concern, and I've been seeing this again in some of the publications, and the concern is that this is going to increase the amount of spending. Because they're going to be putting a That's lot of the this concern of payers. In. Yes. You, you open Pandora's box and everything jumps out. That's mm-hmm. right. Yep. That's right. We are going to go to break, but uh, we're going to have you here for another segment and chat about a few things that we've uh, sort of foreshadowed. And we're looking forward to it. We'll be right back. Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit OrlandoPediatricSurgery.com. Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now uh, with my co-host, Dr. Mark, and also Ken Peach from the Health Council of East Central Florida. Uh, we're talking about home care. We're talking about the Health Council. Dr. Mark? Yeah, so we were finishing up in that last segment talking a little bit about some of that remote monitoring, wearables. If if you had to sort of look not really far forward, but but in the near future, what are the wearable devices, the, the technologies that you see really coming to fruition that that are must-haves? I, I think anything that maintains function. Uh, the medical director that we work with on our programs at the Health Council shared quite some time ago that his primary function is to keep people functional and on their feet. Right. Sure. And if we can keep that going so we can measure that function. The other thing is I don't think most people think about health care. Um, it's a secondary 
thought. I mean, unless they're living with something it's, very it's serious. reactive and not proactive in the U.S. Right. When you're healthy, you don't think time. about health care. Sure. That's true. Right. Yeah. So, so using these devices to monitor and to alert us to a problem before we know we have it. And I think you've probably all seen videos and other things of you walk in front of the mirror in the morning and you get your vital signs pop up on your, right. on your mirror over the sink. Uh, so I think um, there's no reason right now why we won't see some of this. There's an organization called Startup Health. And it's the most fascinating information to read. It's available online. Um, and you watch what it is that these entrepreneurs are coming out with. And it's incredible how fast this is moving. So I think we're going to see a lot of Star Trek medicine, if you will, in, in very short order. That will also mean a focus much more on primary care medicine. Sure. Because I believe primary care medicine will end up being able to do that much more using this technology. Well, I'll, before we jump into the next topic, I mean, I want to yep. go back and pitch the AI angle because yep. – as we talked about last week, artificial intelligence is a really scary term for a lot of people. You know, they, it's a they black think hole. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they yep. think, you know, the robots can take over the world and whatnot. Yep. This is the area that AI can deliver services so well, so safely, so much faster. You know, things that things are literally being monitored every millisecond. And I think that's that combination of these these wearables and then a algorithm of where the important data is recognized and where it's reported. So I'm really excited. I think that's going to be a huge piece of this technology. Well, you know, Dr. Mark, one of the things that uh, Ken and I have had conversations because he does, we try to send him patients on our value-based programs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always have a lot of patients that we can't close care gaps because they don't come to the office and get their annual wellness visit. And, you know, we have a number of patients that haven't even had an E&M visit, meaning an office visit, Mm -hmm. this year. And we're almost to Labor Day. And that's where I think Ken's group can go out and meet with these patients in their home Mm -hmm. and and not only close some of these care gaps, but get some of this valuable information on an annual wellness visit that's more like an, an annual physical. You want to talk to that, Ken? Sure. What we um, we did a few years ago, starting in 2017, 2018, was um, I'm a former first responder from New Jersey. And when I was a volunteer up there, I, I came down here and I thought, you know, I wonder if there's a way when I got into healthcare to use paramedics in a different way than mm-hmm. we're traditionally used to, the triage, right. treat, and transport. So we created a program which is now called Caramedics that uses paramedics to manage chronic conditions in the home. And Dr. Mark, to give you an example, we would be an extension of your medical office and your practice. Gotcha. So we basically work the care plan. And when I say we, we're talking about the paramedics, not myself. Right. But um, in, in essence, what they're doing is they're extending the medical office into the home, and they're finding things that are far beyond anything that um, you would normally see in the medical office. So you don't see some of the what we call the social determinants of health, the health right. issues that are impacting. And I have some stories to share about and, some and of And that is really becoming a cornerstone for value-based care. Right, because we're finding it's not just the clinical, but it's all the other things. It's the fact, for example, that we walked into a woman's home, uh, one of our paramedics up in Sanford, because the hospital said, you know, this patient keeps coming back every two days through the emergency department. There's nothing wrong with her. And he recognized, he said, first he checked her cupboard and there was no food in the cupboard. Right. So he went ahead, replenished her food, comes back two days later, and almost all of it's gone. And she couldn't eat that much. Yeah. So he looks and he sees these people hanging around. Turned out squatters had moved into the apartment across from her and into her apartment were taking her money and her food. Wow. As soon as we were able to work with the landlord and uh, elderly affair abuse and, now, and so forth, as soon as we were able to get that done, 
no more visits to the emergency department. But those are the things that yeah. you, you find. So I was going, I was going to ask a question before you told that story, but I think you've answered it. So when we're talking about delivering some type of health care in the home, how did you come about choosing paramedics? But you've kind of described a picture that I can see that they would be most comfortable you know, most experienced, you know, walking into that And maybe situation. a little cost-effective. Yeah. Well, yeah. and yeah. you look at the training. First of all, paramedics have a very broad bandwidth yes. in terms of medical practice of what they're doing, what they're trained to do. Second of all, they're trained for scene evaluation because normally they're in an EMS situation. Yes. So they look at everything. They check the air filters and the air conditioner. They check the, you know, is there a fire extinguisher? Are there smoke detectors operating? You know, is there a caregiver? Um, if does the front door work? One poor woman was in her wheelchair with a rope tied to the front door to keep it closed because the lock was broken. So we changed wow. the lock. You know, it's yeah. these things yeah. that it's we just find. Little things, yeah. Right. And and so and relating back to Larry to your point, and I'm sorry, I've got a sign of sideways here, but um, the fact is that they are very comfortable going into the home and they can begin to do the things that an individual is not coming to the medical office to do. Absolutely. You, you would hope Absolutely. they would for yeah. their annual wellness mm-hmm. visits and so forth. But more and more of that can be now in, done in the home with the addition of telehealth because we can't do it. In most cases, a physician component has to be there sure. in order right. to, to comply. And so, in essence, all of our paramedics set up the telehealth, yeah, the telehealth and they're right there. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and before the physician comes on, they're able to tell the physician, okay, this is the circumstances. Here's the medications yeah. they have and mm-hmm. all of the... Here's, you know, um, here's their false risk. Here's what we're finding in the home. Here's the information about their caregiver. A lot of good information. Yep. Well, I give went... a shout out to my, uh, my nephew, uh, Matt's at City of Cocoa, a paramedic, and you're describing these activities. And I've known him as he's gone through all his training, you know, wow. both the EMT, paramedic, and fire school. And that's exactly what they do. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, duh, of course, paramedics. That makes perfect that's sense. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, you've got programs out there like yours. And I understand that some of the health plans actually funded some of your programs early on with paramedics. You want to talk about how this thing got started? Yeah, the the actual funding initially uh, in 2016 came from the Florida Blue Foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we were the first community paramedicine. We were calling it that. Now we talk really about home paramedicine. But at the time, we talked about community paramedicine. They funded it initially, and then we also had grants that came from the CHIC program at uh, at then Florida Hospital, now Advent Health. Um, we also had funding from a number of other sources. And then the other big grant that's still with, with us is the West Orange Healthcare District. Okay. We put a program there called Healthy, Happy, and Home, and that program now has been extended twice, and we're now getting ready to deliver meals. Um, mm-hmm. So individuals oh, wow. that are found to be food insecure will be able to deliver meals and do some nutrition uh, testing, bio-testing with them to determine whether or not this meal at home service is actually improving their nutrition as well. Are you partnering with someone to do that? Second Harvest Food was, Bank and the West say, Orange Healthcare I mean, District. One, one of the most amazing groups that I've ever, ever They're visited. Yeah my, yeah. yeah, my family's gone out there and volunteered and we've heard a few of the talks from the, the leadership. Amazing. That's great. That's great. That's great. That, that really sounds like success to me, I mean, yep. what you're doing and the history yep. that they have. Well, and you I, know, food insecurity, loneliness, isolation, mm-hmm. it sounds like these are the things that you're really focusing on, and, as well as overall health. Right. And again, that's yep. what allows this idea when we were talking about wraparound before, Dr. Mark, to, you, to your point, that's what we were really talking about. Mm-hmm. What is it that we can provide or ensure that's in place so that we can sure, ensure that these individuals can live safely and happily at home? And that's where most of them want to be. 
Right. So we're exploring yeah. working with palliative care. There's a palliative care coalition forming in the state. We're mm-hmm. experimenting working with them, we're working with an entity that's looking at uh, its this limited size housing as opposed to assisted living, uh, four and five individuals in a home. Mm-hmm. Um, and how can these services provide these new places mm-hmm. for seniors to live comfortably, safely, and um, and at home? So how do you are you able to quantify your success with care medics, and how do you measure your success? I think it's a great question, Larry, and um, particularly West Orange Healthcare District. What we did there was we've been asking now since the beginning of the program, have you been in the hospital in the last 36 months or last three years? Uh, so we log that into the information. Incidentally, every visit that we make is documented back to the medical office. So mm-hmm. the physician right. always the, knows the exactly what's office. going on, right? There's mm-hmm. a, or orthopedics. We've actually done post-surgery visits in the Good. home as well. We've mm-hmm. done labs. We've done COVID vaccination and mm-hmm. COVID testing. But as we've done these various things, um, we are, are constantly looking at, are we making an improvement while that individual is enrolled in our program? So what we're finding, and this was actually documented and presented to the Institute for Health Improvement as they put it in their poster contest last year, um, we actually were able to show that through our service, individuals who had been in the hospital were staying out of the hospital. Excellent. Out of the hospital and out of the emergency department. In this area, CMS, the governing organization for Medicare and Medicaid, indicates, depending on what part of the county you're in and the type of um, diagnosis you have, anywhere between 18 and, believe it or not, 29% of individuals with those will be back in the hospital within 30 days. Wow. The, the rates are, are horrendous. We're running at 10% for all cause, meaning if you're in our care, you have 10% chance of uh, on something Return. that you didn't originally yeah. go in right. for. Same cause, the same reason you went to the hospital for 6%. Wow. So oh, we've, we've been yeah. able to really bring down those readmissions, which are a significant um, difficulty for the individual <clears throat> having to go back in the hospital. So, and, Ken, what is your service area now, and how many paramedics do you have actually <laughs> working this program? We started with one paramedic in late 2017 when we actually mm-hmm. went into the field. Today we're at 12, and we're hiring right now for an additional eight. Uh, we've gone from Seminole into Orange, Osceola, uh, I think we're going into Brevard. We're wow. in Marion Lake and Sumter, and we're now hiring in Hernando and Polk. Amazing. And throughout the state, uh, this is obviously a very repeatable type of system that you've set up. Like what other organizations are doing this same program? There is no other organization that we're of that's doing you were going to say that. Yeah. yeah. However, we changed our electronic medical record this year. We're actually the only client of a system that's used all across Canada. We're the only U.S. client. Um, and this system has allowed us to go from having to carry around a tablet device yep. and pay for cell service to being able to do everything on a smartphone. Well, so now we can put paramedics anywhere in the state of Florida and put them through a training program we're developing. Let me, before we run out of time, tell me what, and this is a long name, the Southeast Telehealth Resource Center Central Florida Task Force is. <laughs> it's got to be an acronym. What do you got? That organization yeah. was fascinating. It formed, it, it, it is federally funded. It's one of a number of regional um, telehealth resource organizations that are funded by the federal government to encourage the growth of telehealth in each of their states. The Southeast, Larry, covers Florida, um, Alabama, um, uh, Georgia, and South Carolina. And just to give you an idea very quickly, when they first came down here to uh, encourage the support and growth, they uh, demoed it for us on a HDTV down okay. in Kissimmee. And I've never seen a whisker that appeared to be four feet long. But it, <laughs> with a multiplier on the camera, it was amazing what you could see. Wow, that is fantastic. 
Well, Ken, this has been great. I'm sure yeah. we're going to have to get you back here again. We want to hear some updates and growth, and, and I hope that the listeners are out there thinking about how do we find funding for more programs like this because this it's a – it's a survival of the whole system, and we really need to uh, keep it up. Right. Larry? Uh, just real quickly, how do you contact the Health Council of East Central Florida? Um, you would call 866-991-3652 is our main number, and then we have a series of options on the phone. Great huh? discussion, Dr. Mark. We'll be right Absolutely. back. Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. I'm still here with uh, Larry, and uh, we also have our uh, guest. Uh, we we haven't let it, it's like you're hostage. We haven't let yeah. you leave, but we're going to keep he, you on, Ken. And uh, he wanted the full experience today, exactly, and, exactly. and I'm getting it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. You know, before we get off this topic, I wanted to ask you a question, Doctor Mark, uh-huh. as a physician. How do you feel about when you turn patients over to programs like Caramedics that Ken and his paramedics go in the home? How do you feel about that? Well, I tell you, it's it's kind of a cheat because I've really seen a glimpse that probably a lot of folks aren't going to see. I mean, you've really explained this extremely well, but I would say I'm ex- very, very comfortable with a program where I have someone like a paramedic walking in. I mean, it 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 was it's brilliant. It's really, really brilliant. And when you get a program that comes in and says, hey, we're going to do your follow-up. Yeah, you know. It, but It'd be an you layer, extension of your yeah, practice. Right. So yeah, so yeah. this this is real. I mean, this this makes perfect sense. It's yeah. not, I don't want to disparage any anyone in healthcare, but there, there are certainly different levels of healthcare delivery. And I always, you know, with my students, I tell them what you, what you need to know more than anything is you need to know what sick looks like. If someone right. needs a level of care that they're not getting at that moment, you need to recognize that. And I, I believe the paramedics are incredibly well-trained to do exactly that. So, no, I, that, this, okay. this, I'm and really the excited reason, about this. The reason I wanted you to uh, vocalize that, Dr. Mark, is I think these programs, and I think Ken would agree, they are so important, but if they're not truly endorsed by the physicians, we got an issue. Would right. you agree, Ken? Yes, yes. That, that was okay. our most difficult uh, yeah. start on this, was getting a physicians to okay. actually refer patients. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. right. And they're thinking right. you're, you're taking business, and you're not. You're right. absolutely not. You're right. you're really saving the system money. Hopefully right. they look at it as an extension to their practice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what we do with our primary care doctors and all our value-based programs. Exactly. Exactly. No, okay. we're following up. We're you know closing care gaps. Yep. And yep. we're absolutely yep. trying to get them to deliver the care level that they need to, to satisfy all the requirements <clears throat> that we have as a value-based program. Right. Right. 
Well, great. Well, let's uh, move on to some other stuff. It's not going to be as interesting as what we just talked about, i got to tell you. <laughs> that was a great conversation. Yeah, that was really good. That was good. We're really glad to have you today, Ken. Well, thank you So let's, let's talk about shopping. So mm-hmm. Pfizer went shopping. They spent <laughs> $2 billion on Trillium. What, what, do you, what do you hear about that? Yeah, uh, they spent more than $2 billion to, in cash to buy a drug maker focused on cancer research. And Pfizer is going to pay a tremendous amount per share on a 60-day weighted stock advance. And they actually have no mar- products on the market right now, Dr. Mark. How you know, you like neither spend do two I. Billion dollars? I don't have any products on the market. Somebody, <clears throat> but I'll take your $2 billion. Dollars. <laughs> but the potential yeah. includes biologics. And you've actually yeah. talked about biologics that basic, uh, basically can improve a patient's immune system and detect and destroy cancer cells. Right. right. So this so, could be a great breakthrough. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. We're poking fun because of the yeah. the price tag. And, and, you know, we all watch Shark yeah. Tank. And if, if you yeah. walked into Shark exactly. Tank and said... I want $2 billion for 100% of my company yeah. that has no revenue. I, yeah. I think that would well, be Well, I think price. this was the the eventual of right. the hook a, sure. because two years ago they invested $25 million in this company, right. Pfizer and Trillium, and then today up. they buy them. Yep. No, it makes perfect sense. Makes <laughs> I thought that sense. was interesting. No, that is good. Yep. All right, you, you handed me a, a, a this yeah. is not a bill. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, I got a, uh, you know, we talk about drug costs mm-hmm. and, and the cost of drugs and the difference uh, in Advent or any of the hospital system, Advent, Orlando Health, HCA, right. uh, Cleveland Clinic. I got an EOB sent to me by one of our listeners, and this is a prolia, prolia injection for osteoporitis, osteoporitis. Uh, Osteoporosis. 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 Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep. You're okay. the doctor gotcha. here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was like, no, and, that's uh, not for that. It's yeah. a every six month injection. Right. And I saw the EOB, and this is what our listener wanted me to see: the charge by the health system for this injection was four thousand five hundred and sixty one dollars and eighty cents, plus a hundred and sixty five dollar and ninety one cents administration fee for giving the shots mm-hmm. almost forty eight hundred dollars for this shot which is given twice a year and medicare only paid seven hundred dollars for this right right so, so, so is it appropriate yeah, yeah. to have six times medicare is it a as a bill charge well <laughs> and we've talked about the way drugs yep their drug companies set their pricing, right? So yep. they set their pricing yep. based on how much they can charge throughout the world, how much they're going to make on this drug throughout the world, but have us at in the United States cover the entire cost. Yep. So everything else is kind of gravy. So you do. You get these ridiculous numbers. Yep. And then so, so you got one side pushing this ridiculous number up to, into the conversation. And then you have the other side, be it. CMS or be it Blue Cross Blue Shield coming back and going, well, that's not how that's going to go. So they push that's it all right. the way down. Right. And frankly, these EOBs shouldn't exist. No. I don't think that anyone should see them because they're completely meaningless. Absolutely. They, they can't do anything but make you angry and confused. Exactly. And yeah. so why why are we still doing this? Yeah. The, this person looked at this bill and said they wanted to get paid $4,500 for this shot. And the interesting part, if it had not been a Medicare patient, how much would they have gotten paid yeah, you don't if know. it was right, private right, pay right. or even private insurance? Right. And so when people are getting yeah. into this yep. game, they've got to be really good at it. And they, and they yep. are. You know, the, yep. the big commercial players, they're, 
they're wise to these negotiations. Yep. But at the end of the day, I I just don't understand why we see those numbers. And there there's actually a implantable uh, thing that that I do for for kids with uh, precocious puberty, and it's this okay. little implantable soft silicone polymer that that delivers mm-hmm. a medication over the course of a year right okay. so it's a little tiny thing it's like the inside it's of a like pen. a little pacemaker yeah, type so you, thing well you put it under yeah. the skin you know under the just right above the fat mm-hmm. between the skin there and put it in tiny little thing and they okay. use this technology for other medications this particular medication charges about twenty nine thousand dollars from the company and medicaid pays it they actually pay about thirty-two thousand. So wow. the pharmacy who who does this, the, the specialty pharmacy, they get yep. that that delta. Yep. They make a yep. few grand, and then uh, I of course make uh, one hundred fifty dollars to put it in. Yep. But I mean, it's just crazy. That's actually yep. paid at that. There's no way they can justify these costs. Now it's a fairly, you know, it's not an incredibly common thing to order, but man. It's, it's crazy. Just, the numbers are just outrageous. It's crazy. Well, you and, remember and they the, need it every year for and, like four years. Yeah. And, you know, Ken, uh, we, we talked earlier about um, we had a patient that was sent to a community hospital and then helicoptered to a trauma center. And that eight-minute helicopter ride cost them $49,000. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can go down to Disney and take one of those rides for like 25. Well, it's not the same thing. But, yeah. yeah. No, it is. There, there's some things that, that are so ridiculous and it just adds to the the bad reputation that healthcare has to the healthcare consumer and it's one of the things we do on the show is we try to debunk some of the things right. some things look a lot scarier yep. than they are yep. but at the end of the day it just makes it makes well, no sense one of the things that we try to uh, let our listeners understand and you know the whole purpose of this show is to build educated healthcare consumers and have a conversation about everybody that deals with healthcare and one of the things we tell them don't ever pay a bill until you investigate that bill and negotiate that bill. Because even if you're under insurance, your copay can be negotiated probably the tune of thirty percent. Yep. Yep. It's always it's always yep. worth a phone call. And some right. of the some That's of them right. yep. I mean they're just errors that are caught. And that, you would that, know that, that as a hospital yep. administrator, Ken. Yeah. 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 He's, he's, he remembers he's the day. smiling over uh, he's, there. I he's saw still it. recovering. <laughs> a former recovering. Yeah, oh, that's recovering, right. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, that's that was, right. That was, we'll the, give that you was that. the disclosure. So. <laughs> well, we were, we've kind of led right in this talking about yep. these crazy numbers and the different yep. hospitals yep. insurers. And so we were talking about a little uh, article on hospitals and insurers charging crazy different prices for the same service, yep. same imaging yep. services. Yep. Yeah, let me get into that. You know, uh, the mandate for transparency and pricing has been out there for a while. Yes. Yet uh, reports indicate that only 10% of hospitals in America are actually compliant with this. Right. And there's an obvious reason. And let me give you an example. The New York Times partnered with two University of Maryland, Baltimore County researchers to review medical costs in 60 different hospitals, releasing a bombshell report about 10 days ago on what's going on with imaging in these hospitals. A patient with United Healthcare's HMO would expect to pay about $1,093 for an MRI. With the same private insurance PPO, now that's an HMO, mm-hmm. PPO, that same exam would run $4,000. Right. And then at Mass General in Boston, a knee MRI 
averages anywhere from $830 to $4,000, depending on the individual's insurance plan. And if you want to pay cash and you don't have a policy, it could end up costing you about $3,100 for a knee MRI. It's all over the board, yeah, Dr. Mark. Yeah. No, that, and it, yeah. that's, that single-payer argument gets a lot of value when we start talking about these, these things. Because yeah. why... Why would somebody be able to pay a thousand dollars and another one for it? Four thousand dollars. Yeah, four thousand. Yeah. It's just yeah. there's no way to make sense of it, and somebody's doing bad business or yep. somebody's ripping you off. I mean, it's it's yep. one way or the other. But you know, the single payer also puts you outside of that c- competitive realm, and so the consumer might get beaten up on the on the side of of what they're paying for their insurance. So, right. yeah, this is it's ridiculous. Well, well, on this transparency, let me throw two things out here. The five largest insurers uh, all declined on the rec- to record have an interview, but the vice president for public policy at the American Hospital Association said these rate sheets should not be available to anyone, adding a lot of hospitals are putting in a lot of effort to comply with the rule. However, six months after the rule went into effect, the Times found that the 10 highest revenue hospitals in the country had posted no date on their website. Yeah. Well, we also you're supposed to post the data not just at the hospital. I mean, we talk about on their website. Uh, you, know, you want yeah. to go uh, get an echocardiogram, so you can go to your your right. cardiologist right. who's in private practice, and he's going to say this is this is what's going to be. And so, if you go to another cardiologist who might be employed by a hospital system, they're supposed to tell you what it's going to be, yep. and that's yep. not necessarily done. But if you ask. And they don't give you an answer, you leave. That's right. You, you know, go I somewhere mean, else. Yeah, absolutely. Go to an independent imaging right. center. Because, I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, absolutely. I think that consumers have been somewhat bullied. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's we, we, we speak in a completely different language. So we've got the, the medical language and throw the accounting yeah. language into it. Nobody yeah. wants to yeah. be you know hear any of that. Right. And they're just bullied into it. And they don't ask the right questions because they don't know what questions to well, ask. If you remember, we compared this to buying a car. You go to a car lot and they don't give you the right price. What do you do? Right. You, know, you, you leave. About yeah. I mean, you should got to be ready to walk <laughs> away. Right. Now, now let's be clear. If you're going to the cardiologist because you're having chest pain, don't go anywhere. Yeah, don't go, go anywhere. anywhere. That's, but, right. That's right. But, but it's truth. <clears throat> but this I think this whole thing with, that that we're used to dealing yeah, with. Yeah, this whole thing consumers. with transparency is employers are in the dark, governments are in the dark, and then it's astonishing how deeply ignorant we continue to be about these prices. No, it is, it is, and yep. I think when yep. when people sit down in the C suites and talk, you know, payer to buyer, and they know, like they know what the numbers are, and, and but but when it gets down to who's actually paying the bills. I think we're at a loss. Well, we have we have taken care of this uh, weekend day show. What a good show! Oh man, we caught caught a lot of stuff. I hope we weren't too uh, all over the place. Ken, again, thank you for uh, hanging out Thanks the whole day and helping us out. We really enjoyed talking to you, Larry. Have a great week, right. and uh, we'll see you next week. Talk to you soon. You feel better now? We hope you do. Join us again next week for Healthcare Now. For a podcast of this program, go to theanswerorlando.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.